Coming up on this episode of The Unusable Podcast. The decline of UX. App notification nightmare. Logic puzzles at the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to The Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Andrew? Hello, David. How are you? Hello. Uh, I'm all right. Oh, something I've, I've got something to tell you. I've done something shocking. Oh, okay. I've uh, I've joined a gym. Wow, we. Wow, I've started going swimming again. So we're both on a, a fitness kick by the sounds of things. Oh, no, no. Uh, what, mm, what I was going to tell you is not about general fitness. Okay. I'm going to salute that, general fitness. Um, it was... So when when I joined this gym, they, they gave me this form to fill out, right? And it was one of those where it asks you if you've got any health conditions and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you, if you have that sort of, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to sort of cover themselves. And... One of the questions on the form, it really threw me. It really confused me. And it's it's quite... Let me read it. Let me find it for you. I wrote it down. Um, you might think it's quite a simple one, but it confused me for ages. And this lady was like, why are you taking so long on this form? What's, what's, what's going on? So after I did all the health questions, uh, it said, do you believe there is any reason that you cannot attend the gym? Do you believe there's any reason that you cannot, and not was underlined and capitalised, attend the gym? And it said, yes, slash no, circle the appropriate. <laughs> what would you circle? Well, I know what they're getting at. They mean, is there any, anything that would mean you shouldn't attend the gym? Like, yeah, do you so have a, is there a anything condition? So is there any reason, do you believe, do I believe there's any <laughs> reason that I cannot attend the gym? Yes, I believe there is no reason I can't attend the gym. <laughs> And I was confused. Well, but then is it is it yes or is it no? What do you th- what do you think it is? Is there any reason that you cannot attend the gym? No. Do you believe there's any reason that you can? <laughs> is it yes or no? Uh, See, it's not straightforward, is it? It's no. There's no. There is no reason. No, yes, there is. Yes, no, there, there is, is no re- reason. Oh yes, there is no reason. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> I felt like an idiot, but now you're making me think that. I'm valid in taking a long time answering this. Yeah, they could have worded that one better, couldn't they? So I asked what people normally put, and she says, oh, it's, it's no, it's definitely no. So I thought, no, there's no reason that I cannot... No, there's no reason I cannot attend the gym. What? No, I don't believe that there is any reason that I can't attend the gym. I'm not sure about that. So but... she said to circles, no. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I, I would have said yes, I think. You would have said yes. Yes, you believe there is no reason. A reason. There is no reason that you cannot attend the gym. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, I, I don't want to sort of mock the average gym goer, but you know, you don't need to be super qualified usually to get into the gym. So I wonder what a lot of people chose on that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just st- stupid for overthinking it. Anyway, she accepted it, and uh, and it's all fine. See, the thing is, that's yeah. That's just that's just bad, isn't it? That's not that's not a dark pattern. Well, it's just it's unclear. It's unclear. They they weren't trying to deceive anyone. I don't think it wasn't like a sort of secret test to see if see see how you can handle logic uh, puzzles. Brilliant. <laughs> we, we we should introduce ourselves anyway. We've not oh God, we've not we've not even done that bit. Okay, so, so who, who are you, and what makes you qualified to to, to be on this podcast? My name is David Ball. I'm a front end web and app developer. I don't know if anything qualifies me 
to be on this podcast, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Andrew? Who, who oh, are you, like, Andrew? Likewise. Um, so I am Andrew Waite, and I... Uh, do you know what? I'm going to simplify this. I run a software-as-a-service product in Derby. Is that is that Okay. That's, that's that, perfect. Is that, is that better? Is that, that makes bit, sense. That makes sense. Well, sometimes normally, people ask us, like, what the hell's a SaaS product? Yeah. that's what you normally say, isn't it? Yeah. I should have thought about this in advance, shouldn't I? Um, You've had plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> I run a software product. Okay. Yeah. That's what I do. Good. Good. So what are we talking about today? I know you wanted to start. Yes. So I recently read an article. It's not the latest article. It came out in January, the end mm-hmm. of January, by someone called Mark... Hurst. Okay. And the article was titled, Why I'm Losing Faith in UX. Okay. So he opened the article with, for many years, I believed in UX, the so-called user experience of a website, app, or other digital product. It could spell the difference between success and failure. After all, an easy and intuitive or convenient UX would make the customer's life better while simultaneously achieving the team's goals. So the basic thing about the article is he, he says that he splits... Uh, <laughs> your face, your face is doing me, is not helping me. My face says, make this more interesting, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he basically splits uh, UX as a as a career into into three decades. So he calls decade one from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand and seven, and he calls that the golden era of really? UX the online. Era. Okay. And he says that's when companies were willing to invest in listening to customers in order to serve them better. Yeah. Retail, finance, healthcare, travel, and all of the sectors had, uh, and other sectors all had some interest in improvement. So he has that as the first decade. Um, and then he says that things changed from 2008. Uh, during the financial crisis, this is decade two, mm-hmm. and he calls this the slide. Right. So from 2008 to 2018, it was a time of UX teams seeing diminished influence. Uh, there were lots of factors at play, but one of the major factors was the fact that a lot of financial experts moved from Wall Street to Silicon Valley. Uh, and suddenly the get-rich-quick mentality that had caused the 2008 crash was being adopted by senior leadership at big tech firms. Oh. Uh, and that now it was big data and algorithms and not UX that actually mattered most. Oh. And I like this quote here. He says, UX was at best a superficial sop for users. So I think by that what he means is that... You know, it was a marketing ploy, you know, saying that, you know, yeah, we're user focused, but really not user focused. Actually, right. we're just exploiting people. Oh, right. Okay. What's a sop? Do you know what? I don't know. I thought it was a fruit, an exotic fruit. <laughs> but, but, but I could be wrong. Uh, but I think what he means in this case, just just inferring from the context, I think it means like a like a like an excuse, a false narrative to give to give people. According to Google, uh, a SOP is a thing of no great value given or done as concession to appease someone whose main concerns or demands are not being met. Yeah. It also means a piece of bread dripped in gravy, soup or sauce. <laughs> okay. So he then says that there's now we're now in decade three, um, okay. which he, call, he calls the redefinition. Right. And he, he sees UX being transformed now into a new discipline. Okay. Which he calls user exploitation. So he says that UX is changing from being called user experience, or standing for user experience, to becoming user exploitation. What? And the example that he gives for this is the Amazon Prime cancellation process. 
Right. So there's actually a court case ongoing in Norway. Yeah. Relating to Amazon's difficult process to cancel Prime. Apparently it's got a six-step cancellation process that's full of dark (laughs) patterns. Uh, and each step is yeah, okay. specifically designed to try and, and, and keep people in the Prime membership. You, you know the sort of thing. We've spoke about it many I times think we, on the podcast We might have before. done a video about it or maybe just talked about it. But yeah, I, I, I've I gone through this process. I know we did a video about similar uh, cancellation processes. And it does seem to be a thing that a company will try and trick you into, into staying subscribed. But at what point... At what point is that, you know, as a business owner, you want to retain as many customers as possible. And I think it's fine if someone phoned you up and said, I'd like to cancel. Yeah. That is an opportunity to say, have you thought about all the benefits you're losing? I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. To to, to, to use that as an opportunity to try and retain that customer. Yeah. But not out, not outright trick them. But if you make, yeah, well, that's the thing is what how far is too far? You know, if you ring up to cancel and you're still on the phone an hour later, <laughs> you know, having gone through this long-winded process you know that's that's yeah that's clearly too far but what when does it become too much when does it become too far but he contrasts that against amazon historically okay he says amazon we must remember used to be the leader in ux online for years certainly throughout the first decade of online ux jeff bezos made a point in every interview of every press story of hammering his strategy customer experience customer experience customer experience uh, here was a com- okay. here's a company Be- Bezos asserted again and again, maniacally dedicated to serving the customer, and it worked. But that's it does, changed. It does work. It does work because Amazon is quite a good store, really. I mean, some parts of it look clunky and probably is difficult, but the whole process they have streamlined it so well that it does make buying things quite easy. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Whenever it's in Amazon's interest, <laughs> it's very easy yes, and it's very right. slick and yeah. it's very well designed. Yeah. But whenever it's not in Amazon's interest, yeah. but it is still in the interest of the user, it's all of a sudden it's difficult and it doesn't matter anymore. So, so an example of that is the cancellation process. And another example is um, just how messy the page is. You know, I think if Amazon actually cared about users, they'd probably... Oh yeah, it is a bit of a probably, dinner, isn't it? They'd probably clean that page design up and simplify it. However, yeah, they're true. actually more concerned about conversion and sales. So filling the page up with, have you also considered people who also, who bought this also bought and all that kind of stuff is, it's not, re- I don't think it always helps the user. I think oftentimes that's yeah, just true. improves their conversion rate statistically. True. There are a few tricky things that I can think of. Like if you were to buy something that, um, say you put something in the basket, it will pre-fill the selection to buy it again, you know, as a, a subscription. As yeah. A I've, monthly thing. I've, it pre-fills that and you have to select, no, 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 I just want it once, please. So I've got a really good example of this, actually. I, I recently uninstalled the Amazon app from my phone. Oh, and the, there's a specific re- there's a specific reason for this. So I am not a Prime subscriber. Okay, and for as long as I can remember, whenever I would open the Amazon app, yeah, it would prompt me to sign up for Prime with the primary oh, right, call, okay. with, with the primary call to action be yes, sign up for Prime, and a secondary action of go away. And that's every time I opened the app. There was no way to permanently dismiss it. Every time I opened the app, I would get. Sign up for Prime now. So you mean the sign up is a big button and then the no go away is like a tiny little button? Yes. So, and that's every time I opened the app, this full page dialogue, before I could get to look for what I wanted to look for, I would get this full page dialogue saying sign up for Prime every time I opened the app. Well, that's annoying, isn't it? I'd have to find the button to say no. Yeah. And what happened is one day, bear in mind, I'd been kind of used to this now for, for a couple of years. 
and accepting... A couple of years? Yeah, I think it's been going on for quite a while. Oh, right. And I kind of just accepted it. And yeah, there was this occasion probably a few months ago now where I opened the app and I wasn't really thinking what I was doing. I was distracted and I accidentally pressed the primary call to action. Oh, no. And in a one-click process... Yeah. ...with no confirmation, it signed me up for Amazon Prime. What? So there was no, are you sure you want to do this? You'll get charged. Oh my God. So I just, to- op- all I'd done was open the app and without thinking of it about anything, I just pressed the primary call to action and I was yeah. signed up to Prime. So because so, they've already got your contact uh, uh, details, your card details and everything, then they can just do that. Yeah. Oh, so, that is horrible, isn't it? So it then took me, I had to go through that horrible cancellation process and it took me a while to, to do it, to go through really? the, the cancellation process because they really hide the buttons and then you have to go through all the different steps and it's a nightmare. Right. Um, and I was so aggravated by this that I immediately uninstalled the app and have not reinstalled it. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah, I, I, but that pop-up is in no way of interest in the, in the interest of the user, is it? No user would say, yes, please. Every time I want, (laughs) I open this app, I want to be asked. Oh yeah. It's definitely Amazon being, uh, being tricksy. Yeah. Even though, even though I've said no the past 300 times that I've opened the app. Yeah. There's no way that anyone that was advocating for the user would design that interface whatsoever. It would only ever be designed by someone who's trying to maximise conversion at all costs, even if it hacks people off. So going back to this article then, in this third age of UX design, is that what UX designers are being asked to do now? Do things in the interest of of companies rather than the interest of users? Well, I I don't know, because we work for fairly small organizations don't we we're not we're we certainly don't work for, for tech giants it feel from the outside because because obviously we use things like facebook amazon and so yeah. on from the outside it does feel to me like things are things are no longer happening in the interest of the user it feels like yeah. ux is being used i, I don't know the, the, the article know. resonated with me anyway I, oh, okay. how do you feel about it do you would you agree do you think that ux no. has changed do you think that do you see this no, I, I work for an ethical company and I'm not asked to make any decisions that are dodgy like that. Like if I was asked to implement something like that dark pattern you mentioned on the on the Amazon app, I, I just don't think I would I'd do it. But I don't think I would also be asked to implement something as weird as that anyway. What else did it say in the article? He talks about the cost of all this. So the cost of the fact that UX now is more about psychology and tricking the user into doing something that they wouldn't otherwise do. Okay. And he says that the cost of this is that people who are genuinely interested in the field and genuinely interested in in making experiences that are better for users yeah. are are turned off from from a career in the industry because they're being asked to do stuff that doesn't feel quite right. You're not, mm. you know, they they get in the, people want to get into the industry to to help users and to yeah. to make great experiences, and then they find themselves being asked to to build interfaces and to design interfaces that aren't actually helping people. They're exploiting. They're, they're using the, the psychology of of people against them to to the benefit of the company. And the article advocate, yeah, is saying that basically that puts people off from getting into the career and 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 means that people leave the career. Well, that's a shame because if good and honest people aren't put into those design roles, it means that people in design roles are bad and sinister, dodgy people, which means that it will get worse. It'll get worse and we'll see more bad, sinister, dodgy interfaces. And we don't want bad, sinister, dodgy interfaces, do we? Well, I don't want, I don't want sinister interfaces. I don't, but... want, I don't, I don't want sinister <laughs> anything in my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it but it is it is tricky. So as someone that runs a software product and obviously my, you know, the, the success of the business is ultimately what what pays me at the end of the day. 
So you've never been tempted then to uh, to make a dodgy uh, a dodgy interface that traps people into sign- remaining signed up for longer. Well, it's difficult, isn't it? So our, our cancellation process is currently two button presses. Yeah, you have to find the cancellation button, which we don't hide. You go to your subscription page on the platform and you can press cancel quite simply. And then we just ask you one question, which is why are you cancelling? And that's so that we can understand why people are leaving. Makes sense. But as yeah. soon as as soon as you press that button to confirm your reason for cancelling that's it it's cancelled no questions asked yeah okay we don't go through a song and dance going oh but you've not done this yet and oh did you realize that you're going to lose out on this and oh did you realize that you know if you stay we'll give you half price we don't do any of that stuff you don't then have to uh, get people to call you up and (laughs) sit sit on an answer phone message for like an hour yeah you want to cancel call this number but you know, it would probably benefit the business to make that more difficult. It would probably make the company healthier to make that retention journey, you know, to use some psychology in it to, to, to make people stay. Mm, it's a complicated issue, isn't it? In our it, modern world. It isn't simple. It isn't simple. He, he does a follow-up article as well, which I think is worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. This, this article kind of blew up a little bit and got shared a lot. And he had lots of comments yeah. about it. And I'm hoping a lot of... UX designers telling him that they aren't sinister. No, I think he, I think a lot they, of people they make honest decisions. I think a lot of people are in agreement. Oh, really? Yeah. So one person, uh, let me just have a look. Uh, so one person who replied to this article, Scott Birkin, said, "You can have a great user experience in one sense and be exploited or exploit others at the same time." Yeah. So what what he's saying there is is things like Facebook give a great user experience. Mm -hmm. However, in doing so, there is a degree of exploitation there. You know, the addiction of scrolling through that feed and keeping people in the experience. You're giving people a great experience, but you're also kind of, are you really helping them? Are you, you know, are you getting them hooked into scrolling through that feed? Is that really helping them? Yeah. Well, it's Um, keeping people connected to their friends and family, isn't it? There's there's always a balance of these things, but... Obviously, it, it it's it's a business. They're providing a service. It's just yeah, how the modern world works, doesn't it? You you're using a service for free, but also you know that you're kind of being exploited a bit. But that's why it has to be an equal balance. But no, but this is what he says. He says, I'm surprised that I even have to state this, but on behalf of dozens of UX professionals who wrote in the past week. No, an exploitative product is not great. It's not even close. It's not even halfway great. Not even kind of, sort of great. There is no room for manoeuvring here. If you're exploiting people, you're not doing something great. Okay, so that's all a little bit doom and gloom, isn't it? Yes. But (laughs) I think there are still people out there that are building great things that help people. I I know there are, yeah, because... yeah. People, I think, get into design and UX design and all and like interface design and all that sort of thing because they want to make things that help people. People need to use websites and apps. People will they they will need to be useful and be built in a way that is user friendly. Yeah, and people are interested Definitely. in doing that. I just want people to stay in the light and not get tempted by the dark side yeah. of. Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, yeah, doing what corporations want them to, and increase the profit margin, or all that sort of shady stuff. But that's what got me into into the tech industry, yep. and I'm sure it's I'm sure you'd say the same. Mm-hmm. No, I was tempted by the money, all the money. <laughs> no, it was because I wanted to build things. I wanted to build things that people could use and useful things yeah. that that help improve people's lives and things like no, that. Yeah, nothing nothing gives me more satisfaction personally 
than when we do a, a, a project or, or deliver something for a customer and they turn around and they say, that's had a huge impact for us and that's really helped us. Oh, and nice. That, but no, that, that does, that is what makes me get out of bed in the morning. Is it? More so than the money. Like, obviously, I need money to pay my bills and I need, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I'm very fortunate and privileged that, that you know, I can, um, yeah, I, I lead a, a privileged lifestyle. Oh, but, God. All right. All right, enough about well, you. Oh, Come on, God, this is coming out wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm trying to be... I think what you're trying to say is that you, you feel lucky, not that you're Mr. Privileged. <laughs> yes. I'm lucky that I'm lucky that I can afford to pay my bills and that my basic needs are covered in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And right. But what actually motivates me beyond that is really actually helping people. And when people turn around and say, you know, the, the fact that you, you've implemented that for us, yep. that's had this impact or... You know, that's that's a massive timetable for us. Those those things genuinely motivate me and make me incredibly happy and make me driven to do more. But the same guy, Mark Hurst, has on a more positive note some guiding principles. Excellent. That can help us to to, to navigate this and not to get uh yeah, to to avoid being I don't know what the word is. I've I've broken. You drunk today? I've crashed. Yeah, oh I've, I've just been drinking whiskey. Solid. Um, anyway, so oh, those right, okay. <laughs> so, so those guys. Um, uh, right. Are you going to tell me about those, this article? Are yes. you going to get onto it? Right. Yes. Good. So his guiding principles yeah. are uh, build something that acts in people's long-term best interest. That means create something uh, good. Oh well, good. Um, Great advice. Don't cheat. Don't use dark patterns to nudge someone into acting in a uh, in a way that harms their long term interest. Don't bury gotchas in the terms and conditions. Absolutely. Don't yeah. promise what. Don't promise one thing and deliver another. Oh God, yeah. I mean, these should just be the the new Ten Commandments, shouldn't they? Because these are yeah. absolute gold. Don't take something and do something with it that they didn't expect. Right. Yes. Okay. I suppose that's about. Oh, this is this is this personal is, data. This perhaps. is very this is very damning. So he says he says yeah. don't take something, for example, users' personal data, yeah. and do something with it that they don't expect, and will be horrified to find out what you're actually doing with right. it. Right. That counts as cheating, lying, and stealing, and incidentally, is also the profit engine of Facebook and Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which he's, he's not very kind about. Um, so his third his third one is build a product that you would recommend to your own friends and family. Yeah, that's great. Uh, widen your scope beyond the features themselves. Mm-hmm. Consider how the product acts in the world. What are your effects on people's lives? Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to, to your users and find out what they want before you build it. Mm. Well, that, that's just quite a good, useful... Uh bit of advice to save yourself some time like ask people what they want rather than spending hours and hours building something that maybe they don't actually want and he also says if your company doesn't listen quit your job if you can oh really uh, which is extreme okay so that's like a message to an individual d- developer or designer whatever if the company looks like they're sinister then don't work for them and that's um sometimes it's very difficult to Make that choice, isn't it? Because like quitting one job might mean that I don't know the next next time you go for an interview, they might be like, "Oh, why did you quit?" You might feel like you you're sort of trapped, but you also don't want to be working for someone who's dodgy. You just don't want to be. Yeah, you don't want to be job hopping. Yeah, I think I think it comes back to that hierarchy of needs. So right. So I believe all, I genuinely believe all these things, and without a doubt. However, if it came down to could I pay my bills if I didn't compromise my beliefs? I would probably, I hate to say it, I would probably pay my bills. 
Oh. And have a roof over my head and look after my kids and compromise my. But wouldn't you? Are you? Are you? Would you say that your ethics are that strong that you would rather say miss a mortgage payment than build an interface that you didn't believe in? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's not like I've killed someone. It's, tr- it's difficult, though, isn't it? Yeah. God. Imagine the person that designed the uh, the Amazon Prime unsubscription. Uh... <laughs> flow i mean they they would argue this wouldn't they they would say well this is a job i've got to feed my kids and and stuff like that so it, it's it's easy for us to say do everything ethically yeah but i don't know we're not we're not in a uh situation where we've been told to do dodgy stuff or or, or starving right now i mean i don't know no thankfully thankfully but but it isn't easy is it it's yeah right good chat <laughs> he says uh just to close that out Overall, the approach is simple. Work for the long-term benefit of users and communities. Consider the outcomes. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Yeah. Final word, don't cheat. Yeah. Brilliant. Can I tell you about our latest Twitter followers? Oh, yes. And I will think of some marvellous greeting for them all. Some terrible accent to, to greet them in. Well, you can do whatever you want. I'm just going to read out the names, yeah? Yeah. So... Latest Twitter followers, Steve Jackson. Hello. Oh my God, what's this? I don't know. <laughs> it's just me saying hello. Okay, uh, Mara. Hello. Jason Crudriet. Hello. Stan Bond. Hello. Shandon Jaswal. Hello. Kayla Turner. Hello. Alan Schwelgler. Hello. Alex Fuller. Hello. Brian Craig. Hello. Sarah McKee. Hello. This is very annoying. Gillian Swain. Hello. And Sierra C. Hello. Right. Okay. Oh, also on Twitter, while we're talking about Twitter, uh, Joel Weizerma sent us a photo of, it was a toilet flush button. Okay. And it was... Why do people keep sending us pictures of toilets? Uh, I don't know. I think because usability at its very core is, um, I don't know, it seems to be centred around the toilet. Centred around the toilet, doesn't it? <laughs> I that simple device that everyone tries to overcomplicate. As a society, if you can design a way to clear away poop effectively, then you have nailed society. But if you haven't, then... Uh, I mean, there's always room for improvements. Yeah. Not all toilets are perfect. Anyway, this this one, it had a round flush button, but inside the flush button was another button. What and it says do? that if you press one of the buttons, it does an, uh, a normal length flush. And if you press the other button, it does a half flush. So, you know, maybe if you've only done a little bit of wee, you only want a half flush. Whereas if you've done a giant poo, you can do the, the big flush. Okay, but this this is something I I always struggle with. Right. Because I've got a toilet with the same sort of two buttons. Before you start going down the route but, of struggling what? with your toilet things, this is about, let's keep this on design. What's the, talking about the design of what's buttons. The, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. What? Slight tangent. Oh, God. What is, what is the threshold? What is... When should I press the small button and when should I press the big button? Because I don't think that's clear. And I'd like... Well, I, I will tell you now then. Press the small button. Yeah. If the poo's not gone, then you can press the big button. But <laughs> by default, maybe always use the small one. If it's if, if it's going to come down to that. Because... This is, this is top advice for all our listeners. Yeah. Well, I, saving okay, water, okay, so I think, is good advice. Everyone the reason listening, okay. pre- by default, press the little button. If it doesn't disappear... Press the big button. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, quite a lot of our. <laughs> so, I, I was you hear it here first. 
Top right. advice. You've been drinking quite a lot tonight, haven't you? Blimey. Oh, my I God. Just, yeah. This this uh, this bottle was full when I started. Oh, my God. Hi, there's only a third gone. It's not that bad. Well, that's a lot of whiskey in one sitting. Oh, it is, actually, yeah. Great stuff. Right, anyway, uh, so, he, uh, so Joel sent us this, and he said he doesn't know which one does which, but actually... Now that we think about it, surely the small one is the half flush and the, the big button is the, the big flush. You'd think but so. What, it, what this made me think of is that I've got uh, two buttons on toilet in my house. But if I lift off the uh, the lid inside the mechanism, both buttons just press the same button anyway. So it's utterly pointless. Utterly <laughs> pointless. Yeah. It's just the illusion of, of, of being fancy. Well, I mean, those buttons were obviously designed to to save water. It's a water saving feature because yeah. sometimes there's no need to use double the amount of water that you need to. You just you, there's not enough I don't know, water in the in the system if everyone did that. Bad usability bad nightmare. Nightmares. Night. Bad nightmares. Bad nightmares. Right, you've got one. Go on. I do. I do have one. Um, so it's a quite a simple one. The the other day I got a, a notification on my phone mm-hmm. and let me see if I can find it. That would help, wouldn't it, if I had it in front of me? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, so the other day I had a notification on my phone from an app called Cover. So Cover is like temporary car insurance. So if I need to like borrow someone else's car okay. and insure it for a few hours, mm-hmm. you can use this app. All right, but not sponsored by them. You don't have to advertise them. Well, I'm just I'm just giving the background. Mm-hmm. This uh, I suddenly had this notification. I hadn't used the app recently, but I had this notification, and the title of the notification was "Test Notification," and the <laughs> body of the notification was, "I sure hope this doesn't end up as a cautionary tale about testing in production." Oh. So I like the developer's own awareness there of, of, of whatever they were doing was clearly risky. So a developer was doing a test and it accidentally went into production? It, it obviously sent out to me and, and from looking at Twitter, it went out to a lot of other people <laughs> as well. Um, but I just like that. I sure hope this doesn't end up as a cautionary tale about testing in production. Uh, well, it did. It, it did, did end up it, in production. It did exactly that. Oh, no. Yeah, because it went out to me and lots of other people. Oh, do you think that developer's been fired? Uh, I don't actually, because I, uh, I then lo- I looked it up on Twitter and yeah, Cover themselves tweeted and said, "You may have got a, an unexpected notification on your Android device earlier today, but thanks, thanks for letting us know. But this, thanks for also giving us the most social engagement we've ever had, because <laughs> that many people obviously tweeted about it and let them know. And uh, yeah, all right, okay. So that was my little." My little mini nightmare. Well, it was a a nightmare for the developer. So it's not it's not a nightmare for you, but it's a nightmare for the developer. Well, it was slightly annoying to get a notification when nothing was happening. But yeah, mostly a nightmare for that developer who's probably really annoyed with themselves. So speaking of notifications when nothing was actually happening, I was uh, mm-hmm. I was driving on the motorway the other day, and you know they have those digital signs. Yeah, there's the the big overhead gantry digital signs, and then there's sometimes smaller. Um, like a square, square. It's, it's kind of made out of LED lights, isn't it? Yeah, like a dot matrix board. Essentially, yes, essentially. And it was showing a sign, sign. It was showing that the what do you call it? The near side? No, not the near side. The far side lane was closed. As in the fast lane? No. So it was actually the slow lane. Actually, it was showing okay. me this on the roundabout before I got onto the motorway. So before I got onto the slip road and then got onto the motorway, it was showing me this and everyone was panicking. So 
the sign indicates that on the slip road, the slip road actually had two two lanes. So what the sign was indicating is that the slip road only had one lane and then the left-hand lane was closed. Okay, yeah. And so everyone was, was like fumbling, like um, panicking and getting into the right-hand lane and, and making sure that the left-hand lane was clear. The problem is, slip road was fine. We carried on down down the slip road. We got onto the motorway, carried on down the motorway. There was another, another one of these signs saying, again, left-hand lane was closed, blocked, don't be in it. So everyone was, again, like panicking to get into the middle lanes, like squeezing into just two, two lanes, whereas normally there would be three. Is this we, the boy who cried wolf? Yeah, I went for miles and miles and miles and miles. And there was nothing. There was no blockage. There was no reason for these signs to be saying what they are saying. There was no danger. Um, and then eventually there was a car in the... Um, uh, just parked up on the side of the road. It wasn't it wasn't technically blocking that lane, but you know how sometimes they would block the lane that's next. It's on the hard, on the hard shoulder. shoulder. Yeah. And so these signs, which were happening from miles, miles back, were creating panic. People were panicking and getting into, the, like, squeezing themselves into the two other lanes for not really any reason. Like we, yeah, we could have got quite that's... a lot closer and used the motorway to its full potential. But I find that a lot on the roads. I find people are, yeah, people are sheep, aren't they? Quite often. Well, it's not that they're sheep. We're, we're giving some information and people are reacting to the information that they're given. That's, yeah. that's what I wanted to, uh, to to highlight there. And the, the information itself was causing problems. Yeah. Anyway, that is the end of the podcast. So I'm interested to know if you agree with what Mark thinks. Uh, are you, in your role as a UX professional, acting in the interest of the user or are you exploiting them? Um, if you want to let us know, we're on Twitter at Unusable Podcast or you can email us podcast at theunusable.com. If you enjoyed this, there's plenty more. In the last episode, we talked about product-led growth. We also have Unusable t-shirts and hoodies available to buy on the website at podcast.theunusable.com. Music is by Gold5472. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get a notification about the next one. And that is it. Until next time. Bye. Bye.